This podcast is in association with Spotlight Studios, a family of podcasts driven to create unique, one-of-a-kind content. If you have any interest in learning more, please visit SpotlightStudiosPodcast.com. Donnie Darko, Donnie Darko, Donnie Darko theories. Here we are, here we are for Donnie Darko theories. Wake up. My dad says this thing where he's like, the job of art is to disturb the comfortable and to comfort the disturbed. Hey everyone, welcome to the green room. We are going to be talking about Donnie Darko today. Even more fun, fun, fun with the big old bunny. Three, two, one. The limelight. When this movie came out in... Is it 2000 or 2001? 2001. It came out like a month after 9-11. 2001, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Which killed it, which crushed it financially because of the uh, airplane crash. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't, they couldn't Shit, advertise. man, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, they didn't make much money, but... 2001, it came out. It's the version that you can watch on HBO. It's not really holding your hand Mm -hmm. and explaining the time travel specifics, water and metal, or the glitch that creates this multiple universe. Mm -hmm. So basically in the time travel book by Sparrow, it's very rare, but a glitch sometimes happens. An artifact comes from the primary universe and creates a tangent universe. The tangent universe is very unstable and a lot of strange things can happen happen. One person is chosen to save basically the world because if that artifact does not go back into the primary universe, then everything falls on top of each other, destroying everything. And that living receiver is able to have like some type of like supernatural powers, super strength. Like he's able to put an axe in a bronze statue. He has a flood in the school. He burns down Jim Cunningham's house. It's insinuated that he uses the telekinesis at the end to like save everyone by ripping the engine Engine. into the real world. And this person is haunted by hallucinations and, mm-hmm. and, and dreams. Visions. And visions. Either to help him find his path to fix this. It's stated in the philosophy, it says divine intervention is deemed the only logical conclusion. An act of God is the only way to fix it. This person is also able to speak with the manipulated dead throughout this time period where someone comes to him to act as like a guide throughout this unstable fractured time. There's only two manipulated dead, which is going to be Frank and Gretchen, and the rest are the manipulated living. And they both do the same thing. Manipulated dead, I think, are more self-aware of who they are. Obviously, Frank is. Frank mm-hmm. is actively trying to help Donnie do these tasks to I a certain point. I also think that the reason that Frank is closer to Donnie during this time is because he was taken by Donnie's own, own hand versus right. why Gretchen doesn't necessarily come to him because she was killed by outside circumstances. Him and Frank have that connection because he was the one to take Frank's life. And the manipulated living are the ones that have not died, but are pushing him in a certain direction. The scene with Karen and Dr. Monotov, where they have that exchange about Donnie Darko, you can read into that as they know that Donnie Darko is the living receiver, where they might have that small self-realization being pushed by this other force to fix this glitch, this problem. But they really can't believe that Donnie Darko, this strange kid, this is the living receiver. 
Passion of the Christ was released by the same company, mm-hmm. and they had just made a extraordinary amount of money from that movie. And from the funds of that movie, they were able to take a risk and say, okay, we'll do a theatrical release because, you know, we have some to spare. Mm-hmm. And th- thank God they did. Free will goes out the window sometimes in this. Chapter nine, insurance yeah. trap, where the manipulated dead will set an insurance trap. The manipulated receiver must ensure the fate of all mankind. So it's almost like no matter what he does, they will set a series of events and conspire with each other that will force Donnie Darko to fix the universe. Because I truly think in those moments where Frank was posing a question for him when he was in those dreamlike states, he didn't necessarily have to do those things. I truly think in those moments he did have free will, but if he didn't do it then, Frank was going to find another way. He would come to him again. He would push him in a different direction, visit him more often. But Donnie is so naturally curious and has to constantly find the answers himself that there was no way he was going to say no. I love every part of the theory, and I know that this is like the theory because it's literally her book. The only thing that I really like in my mental state when I add to this is that it's kind of on a loop. Donnie's met Frank before. This has happened before. In the moment where they first meet each other on the golf course and Donnie smiles at him like he's known him before. I think every time there's been something that hasn't necessarily worked out to where Donnie has experienced this timeline of where he dies. I think this is the first time that Gretchen's died in this timeline. I think this is the first time everything worked out exactly as Frank planned it. That cathartic moment when Donnie's laying in his bed laughing his ass off. He's like, I finally beat the loop. I've watched a lot of horror loop movies recently, and there's just something about that smile that Jake Gyllenhaal has of this knowingness about Frank. Maybe he's never tried the butcher knife before. And this was the time that he tried the butcher knife and he's like, oh shit, I'm learning. I can get through this time. Maybe he had the book, but he didn't read it all the way through, or maybe he was gifted it later in the time. I, I just truly think these events have played themselves out multiple times before, maybe not in this order. Donnie has this like persistent confidence about him too, that everything is going to work out no matter what he says or what he does that a lot of people don't have unless they've experienced it before. Even looking at Bill Murray throughout scenes in Groundhog Day and it's just like his confidence is raised throughout that. He gets a little bit more brash, a little bit more wild throughout it. In my mentality, I know that Donnie has seen Frank before. I know that this has played out for him before. That's just my mental theory like a young sparrow's mentality because you know sparrow just doesn't even care about walking back and forth on the street because she knows nothing's ever going to happen to her exactly donnie is literally doing the most insane crazy things taking an axe to his school burning down someone's home first time forever yeah first time ever you're you're doing that for the first time ever that confidently dude you're just like leaving a theater doing that I, i just can't believe that in my mind i think that donnie has played out different things in past timelines but this was the first tangent timeline where he was able to get the jet engine back into the real world. I like that. And then he wakes up and he's like, I beat the loop. I beat the loop. And now I get to die in peace, man. 
I think Donnie Darko is like a lot of people that I grew up with. I think he's a lot of people that I know and continue to know. There's a side to who the character is, someone that everyone wants to be, someone that everyone wishes they weren't, someone that knows they were at one point in their life. Certainly a character that I hope people won't forget anytime soon. The theatrical version did not hold your hand. The director's cut put those pages in there. It doesn't make it as ambiguous as far, especially the time travel system work. And you can get to more conclusions that way for yourself. Both versions are beautiful. Both versions are amazing. I guess I kind of lean more towards less clues. Yeah, less clues. 100%. Absolutely. That's why that's the version that's shown. I watched the other one once in a fever dream, it seems like. And I'm like, where did I know these facts from? Mm. How do I know? these things and then I'm like oh yeah we they younger, don't show this more anymore that was like yeah. oh let's see what's this and then it's like eh. yeah <laughs> could you imagine like Lynch just putting like pages on on the screen to help explain Mulholland Drive like mm. it would just kind of take away from that movie a little yeah. bit the blue that. box yeah. da, da, da. this is the book the blue chapter box chapter two chapter two yeah Right. That just makes Lynch, in my opinion, just a little more superior. Yeah, this is why this guy did one really freaking good movie. God bless you, Richard, for for making this movie, because if without it, I don't know where I'd be today, because old Donnie held my hand like Frank did through many times, you know? It's a beautiful movie, kind of like a Citizen Kane in a way. Not not to say that Citizen Kane was Orson Welles' only movie, but it was his opus. This has his soul inside of it, and you can see that because it's so authentic, it's so pure for me and Jonathan, you know, we're 80s kids and it brings you back to a a different time and a different America and a different consciousness. Yeah. And I think that's the main point that I really took away even beyond all the heady philosophy that we're dealing with here, the literature references and even the theology that Donnie and the audience struggles with throughout. I think really at the core of this is it's, it's a relatable story about growing up, finding your path and being true to your voice, being true to yourself. And that's what really makes this movie cook. And that's what makes it stick mm-hmm. is the real, honest, basic human emotions that he shows us throughout. It's incredible the way those small lines like we all discussed throughout the whole thing still tug at your heart because they just ring so true. This is the movie where Donnie Darko has held my hand like Frank held his and we all just walk on together and just like a, a giant line with Frank leading the way helping young people through dark times in their lives and knowing that when you are the outsider, you're not really the outsider. There's always someone there for you in the sense that you are never really alone. But in the existential sense, yes, you will still die alone. But I mean, (laughs) while we're here, at least, you know, we got someone to be with. I took a playwriting class when I was in college and it was one of the most important classes I've ever taken. In that class, my professor gave us the four existential circumstances of life. I don't have them memorized, but I still have the paper he gave us in 2017 and I tape it to the back of a door of the door of every apartment I live in. So when I leave, I have the four existential circumstances. Five years ago, my cousin wrote Shrek as number five on that list. Every day I read my five 
existential given circumstances to know that, yep, you're alone. You'll die alone, but live it up today, baby girl. Mm -hmm. You'll never know what you got coming next. That's right. Unless you got a giant spear coming out of your chest, and then maybe you might. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If tonight a giant bunny comes to me in my sleep and then things start getting squiggly, I'll be like, whatever you want. Yeah, baby. Things are going downhill. My uh, liquid spear is telling me to push this red button. Spotlight. All of our resources will be found in the show notes or on the website. Please check them out if you have any questions.